This is Environmental Voices Rising Women at the Mic, and I'm your host, Michael Crawford Zimring. This is a podcast about climate action and solutions, not doom and gloom. We are not planning on Mars as our next destination, because right here on planet Earth, there is a lot to be done. We bring you inspirational stories from women environmental leaders who are working on the ground in many different arenas, addressing climate change challenges. Their work is real and positive. We have created a platform to amplify the voices of women environmental leaders because they are committed to bringing innovation and compassion to the problems that affect us all. One of our solutions is to partner with Tree Sisters, and we make a donation to Restoring Forests on your behalf with each new subscription. We invite you to join us, listen to the podcast, and subscribe to the website evoicesrising.com. We also publish a monthly blog and newsletter with resources on our website. Stay with us for today's conversation. Today, I am really delighted to have a conversation with Maya Van Rossum, the founder of Green Amendments for the Generations. The Green Amendment movement seeks to bring environmental rights to the forefront in our state and federal constitution by placing Green Amendments in the Bill of Rights. So before I introduce you to Maya, I want to say that Maya is on a mission. And that mission is to empower us with a tool to revolutionize the United States system of environmental laws and give us, we the people, a way to advocate for clean air, clean water, and a healthy environment. So let me introduce you. Maya is an environmental attorney who has been leading and protecting the Delaware River Project for over 30 years. The Delaware River is the longest undammed river east of the Mississippi, passing through four states and providing drinking water to over 17 million people. The second edition of her book, Green Amendments, The People's Fight for a Clean and Healthy Environment, is coming out in November 2022, and we encourage all of you to get a copy. Since I've had a chance to read an advanced copy, I am so excited to dive in. Maya, welcome to Environmental Voices Rising, Women at the Mic. Oh, thank you so much for that wonderful introduction. I'm even intrigued to listen. Okay. <laughs> so I'd, I'd love to start with your, the, your first chapter, which is really, it's a wonderful beginning, at the epiphany, how you came about, your epiphany about this book and the movement, actually, I guess it's the movement. So start us there. Well, there are sort of two starting places. There's a, a professional starting place and a personal starting place. And of course, they merge together. Professionally, I've been an environmental activist for 30 years now, as well as an attorney. And I've experienced firsthand how our system of environmental protection laws here in the United States of America fundamentally fails us because it's focused on legalizing pollution through permits and reviews. It's not focused on preventing harm and truly pr protecting we the people. During the course of my work, I have battled against the fracking industry for many, many years. And in fact, we have managed to keep the frackers out of the Delaware River watershed, but that doesn't mean we've kept it out of the, all the states that are part of my watershed. So in Pennsylvania, 
Within the boundaries of the Delaware River watershed, there's no fracking, but outside of the boundaries, it's having devastating consequences. And given the state of the law in Pennsylvania and here in the U.S., it was when the frackers first came to the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania in the mid-2000s, it was really easy for them to inflict their devastating harm as they fracked for gas from shale. But the frackers wanted to find a way to make it easier for themselves. And so they very literally wrote for themselves a piece of legislation that the Pennsylvania legislature passed in 2012 and the governor signed. Now, because I do activism and litigation as the leader of the Delaware Riverkeeper Network, we knew, and I knew, that we had to find a way to challenge that law as soon as it was passed. Because fracking anywhere is bad for all of us everywhere. And of course, the more fracking that happens, the more pressure there would be to bring fracking to the Delaware River. So it was really a combination of missions that led me to the place, along with the attorneys that I work with, to recognize that we needed to challenge that law and defeat it. The thing is, how do you challenge a law that your legislature has passed and your governor has signed? You can protest it. You could try to get them to roll it back. You could try to elect better people to office so that in the future they roll back the law. But none of those things were really going to help the people of Pennsylvania or our environments. We had to stop the law before it started. And as we were thinking about our strategy, we recognized that actually in the Pennsylvania Constitution, passed decades before, there was this long-ignored constitutional right of all people, including future generations, to pure water, clean air, and a healthy environment. And that Bill of Rights provision had been declared to be just a statement of policy by the Pennsylvania courts also decades before, so it hadn't really done much in the state. But... We felt like this law was so egregious that maybe we could breathe life into that long ignored amendment and actually restore power, constitutional power to it. So long story short, we challenged that pro-fracking law, arguing in very significant part that it would violate the Environmental Rights Amendment of the Pennsylvania Constitution. And in December 2013, we got a powerful victory that defeated the provisions of the law that we were challenging because it would, in fact, be deemed to have violated the Pennsylvania Constitution. And so we stopped that law, those devastating provisions, before they even started. And it was, you know, in the wake of that victory, of course, how powerful, right, to defeat a law constitutionally on environmental grounds. And as we were going forth using this newly enlivened constitutional right to a clean and healthy environment, I was thinking more and more about the power of what we had accomplished and recognizing that it was unique and important and different. And so I, I decided that, wow, you know, this there isn't just a message in this victory for Pennsylvania. Every state should have this kind of amendment. And I looked at every state constitution and I found that only one other state had an environmental rights amendment of this kind, the state of Montana. And I decided over that first year that I was going to change that and actually secure what I now call a constitutional green amendment in every state constitution across our nation and ultimately at the U.S. federal level so that all people in our nation, including future generations, do in fact have an enforceable right to pure water, clean air, a stable climate, and healthy environments. And that was my epiphany. 
you've covered a lot of points there, so I'm kind of kind of backtrack a little bit. So I know the epiphany is a whole story. I'm so sorry. No, 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 no. It's great. So, but I want to go back to let's go back to fracking. Because you, I, in your book, you have a lot of stories about the devastation to families of fracking, and you actually have personal experience with the effects of fracking. So just, can you just give us a little, maybe one little story about what's, what's going on with fracking and especially how it's affecting the water? Yeah. I mean, fracking really has devastating consequences all the way around, right? It, it, it uses toxins that get added to water and then millions and millions and over the number of numerous project sites, actually billions of water get pumped into the ground to try to shatter the shale to release the gas. And to this water, we've added these, we, the industry has added these dangerous contaminants. And Throughout that process, there are many pathways for those dangerous toxins to get into the water. Of course, as the fracking is happening, there's also a lot of air pollution that happens and the release of climate changing emissions. And in order to create these well pads, forests and wetlands and ecosystems of all kinds get decimated. And the reality is, is that those contaminants don't just go in and have devastating consequences for the environment, but they actually get into the bodies of people. And so we have kids that are getting cancer. We have people that are losing their memories, losing their health, literally losing the quality of their lives or their very lives because of this toxic exposure. For me, I have been spared that kind of... Um, human health harm, that kind of health harm. But but because of the fracking industry, I actually lost a special treasure that my mother had left to me. She had left to myself and my daughter a special piece of land that she had bought in central Pennsylvania with her inheritance from her parents. And she had bought this land with the goal of preserving it as a natural ecosystem just because it was beautiful and it was part of nature. And she left it to myself and my daughter. And over time, after she passed, the fracking industry started to invade the community around this beautiful parcel of land. And there was no way to keep it safe from the fracking. And so in the end, that parcel was really going to be damaged by the fracking industry. And so my then husband and I and my daughter had a very... um, difficult conversation. And we decided that what my mother really wanted was to preserve a piece of nature. And that what we would do is return this parcel of land to the person that had originally sold it to her, somebody who actually wanted it because he had other parcels around, and that we would find another special spot in nature to preserve in my mother's name. And so that's ultimately what we did. And we have another special spot. And that special spot is now being threatened by a frack gas pipeline project. So it seems like it doesn't matter where you go, you're not safe. Well, I am, I'm so sorry. That must have been really rough. What you are sharing with me gets to my next point. What you're saying about these laws, the environmental laws that we think are supposed to protect us, but they don't. In fact, the particular law that you write about was actually written to help the fracking industry do more fracking, not protect the environment. And you're saying... That's be- these laws don't protect us. Please explain. 
People do think it's illegal to pollute and it's it's illegal to like fill in wetlands and fill in waterways. But but the truth is, as long as you get the right permit from the right agency, it's very legal. That's the way the, the laws has worked. And so, you know, over time, when our, our, our state and federal environmental protection laws were first passed, they did help reduce the amount of pollution that was going into the water and into the air and the level of ecosystem damage that was harmed. But over time, those laws have actually become weaker and weaker as industry and their friends in politics have gotten more and more power and have actually use that power in ways that weaken the laws, create loopholes, created gaps in the laws, and really essentially, again, focus those laws more and more on legalizing pollution rather than preventing harm. And so the result is that people have continued to experience devastating consequences from environmental pollution and degradation, and environmental racism has has grown and been perpetuated. And because Our legal system gives the power to the legislature, who is in no small part in bed with industry in the crafting and implementation of these laws. We, the people, don't really have a tool to fight back other than the next election. And all too often, that next election comes too late after a law has been passed and implemented and had its devastating consequences. So tell us about this law, Act 13, that was passed and set you on this journey, which led to the Green Amendments and your amazing victory with the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, where you challenged the law, not just to stop the law, but you challenged it to a higher standard, which was the Green Amendments. So that pro-fracking law that I talked about earlier is, as you say, it was called Act 13. And what Act 13 did was it was passed by the legislature, signed by the governor, and it actually put in place automatic waivers for the fracking industry. So even to the extent there were limitations on the amount of pollution they could spew into the environment, this law would waive them. This this law mandated that local communities allow fracking operations to be located in the heart of residential communities. So just imagine where you live, you 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 have your home that you enjoy and now by virtue of this state law an industrial fracking operation can happen as close as 300 feet to your home. It relieved the fracking industry of the obligation to notify those who are on private drinking water wells that their drinking water had become potentially contaminated by toxic fracking chemicals. And it did more. So under the law, the way it was, the fracking industry was, again, already able to really run roughshod over Pennsylvania's communities and environments. But the passage of this Act 13 pro-fracking law was going to make it even easier. Because it was passed by the legislature and signed by the governor, there weren't really many options to defeat it other than to try to get the legislators to change it. And because the legislators had just passed it, that wasn't going to happen. So here in the United States, though, when you have a law that's passed, if you have a constitutional provision that is 
above the law, right? Because our constitutions here in the United States at the state level and the federal level, our laws are answerable to the constitution. Our laws are supposed to implement the constitution. And when our laws fail to protect a constitutional right, we can use the constitution to actually modify or defeat those laws. And that's what we did at the Delaware Riverkeeper Network. We looked to this long ignored constitutional environmental right in the Pennsylvania Bill of Rights and we said, you know what? This pro-fracking law is so egregious, so devastating. Maybe we can challenge it on constitutional grounds. And that's what we did. And we were victorious. And because we had the Constitution, we were able to stop the law before it even started because it was now unconstitutional. An unconstitutional law here in the United States cannot be enforced, can but not be implemented because it's unconstitutional. But when we did that, we also breathed life into that amendment, which means that no matter what the issue now, if there's a threat to the environment, there is the potential for a constitutional claim in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. So after this victory, you thought about implementing it across the United States and in the, each in the individual states, and you're seeing how this could be done. This is what you've created this movement to accomplish. You're taking it on the road. You're going out and getting other states engaged. But there's another question that I'm interested in because you talk about it, and it's language. There's something about crafting a legal argument to the Supreme Court, but also having good language to present a case for getting green amendments passed. Can you tell us about good language. Yeah. Yeah. The truth is that, you know, when I was doing that as part of my Green Amendment epiphany story, when I was looking at all the different state constitutions, what I actually found was that almost every state does actually talk about the environment in their constitutions. Some even talk about the right to a clean and healthy environment. But the problem when we look at this language is in these other states is is what they do is they say well we have a right to clean water and that's the state's policy well policy is just advice or you have the right to clean air but that right is defined entirely by the state's lawmakers so if your lawmakers pass a law and the governor signs it that says okay clean air is defined as this high level of contamination, then actually the constitution has been fulfilled, but we the people aren't any better off. So what I did in my work as part of my epiphany was I looked at what Pennsylvania had and what Montana had. I said, what is unique and different? And what was unique and different about Pennsylvania and Montana was that they had language in the Bill of Rights section of the constitution that the way it was written meant that our rights to a clean, safe, and healthy environment were given the same highest constitutional power as the other fundamental rights we hold dear, like free speech and freedom of religion. We all know how powerfully those rights are protected. Well, in Pennsylvania and Montana, the environment was given that same highest protection. So there aren't precise words that I say have to be added to every state constitutions. Instead, what I say is their key criteria. It has to be in the Bill of Rights section of the Constitution. It has to be what we call self-executing, meaning it does have legal life on its own. It's not just defined by the legislature or characterized as a policy. And there are a few other critical criteria. 
And when we fulfill the, those criteria and put the environment in that same highest position as those other fundamental rights, then we have what I call a green amendment. Oh, beautiful. I, I found this quote in your book, which I'd like to read, and you can chime in. But here it goes. No matter where you live, I'm here to say that you should dramatically raise your expectations when it comes to the environment. You have a right to pure water, clean air, a stable climate, and a healthy environment. This right is inherent and indefeasible. It belongs to you. And that's basically what the Green Amendment is. It belongs to us, the citizens. Going on, many politicians rail against entitlements and dismiss millennials as an entitled generation. But they've got it wrong. Entitlement is not a dirty word. It's a recognition of rights. And make no mistake, when it comes to the environment, you are entitled. Yeah, and it's so interesting, you know, interesting in a bad, gross kind of way. When you do environmental activism, you know, and people do stand up to fight for the forest in their backyard or the stream down the road or their right to clean water out of their faucet, it is so often that the decision makers on the dais or even people in the audience, particularly industry representatives, try to ridicule those people, right? And, and they say, well, you're, you're just a NIMBY, not in my backyard. And they try to guilt people somehow or shame them into suggesting that they're being selfish because they're fighting for the environment. And very often it works. And so my goal with this book is in no small part to make very, very clear that they have it wrong. We, the people, have it right. We know in our hearts and our minds that we do, by virtue of the fact that we are people here on this earth, we do have a right to clean water, clean air, a stable climate, and healthy environments. They do belong to us. They don't belong to industry, and they don't belong to the politicians, and they sh certainly shouldn't be a bargaining chip between the two. And so part of it is I want people people to be emotionally empowered so that when they rise up to advocate for the environment and for their communities and the health and safety of their children, they do feel empowered. But I also want to put in place this legal standard that doesn't just suggest that they should be empowered in their hearts and their minds, but that they are legally, constitutionally empowered. Because the Constitution in our states and at our federal level, those are the highest legal tools we have of protection, empowerment, and entitlement. And when we put our environmental rights in the Bill of Rights section of our state and federal constitutions, and we rise up to advocate for the environment, we are not just advocating for what we know in our hearts and our minds belongs to us, clean water, clean air, a stable climate, and a healthy environment, but we are now also advocating for a constitutional right and here in the United States of America, right, everybody applauds the Constitution. And so when you stand up and advocate for a constitutional right, it becomes much harder for government officials and industrial operators to become dismissive of you. So it's very, it's not just legally empowering, but it's emotionally and intellectually empowering. And when we put the two together, we really do stand a much better chance of protecting our environment. And when our government officials fail us and they decide to hand over our environment and the health and safety of our communities to industrial operators, guess what? We, the people, can take them to court and say, you violated my constitutional right. And that is powerful. That is very powerful and empowering 
because a lot of times we don't know where that lever is, where we feel like we could have the stage to say something, to actually being able to embody and have a sense of, yes, I have a right to clean air and clean water. So of course we want to support this project because we think it's wonderful. And I wanted to get on to that. So how you're spreading the word. I've looked at your website and I've noticed that there are many states that you are engaged with already. You've you've mentioned that New York State already passed their own Green Amendment recently. But here are the other states, Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, Florida, Hawaii, Iowa, Kentucky, Maine, Michigan, New Jersey, New Mexico, Oregon, Vermont, Washington, and West Virginia. So if there are listeners in any of those states, they can go to your website and find out where they can get involved. And if you are in one of the other states, you could start a campaign and be the first in your state. So Maya, how can people find you and support bringing Green Amendments to the Bill of Rights? And just this past week, I heard from people in in Nevada and Rhode Island, right? So I think this message really is resonating with people because we do understand that we deserve and need more and better when it comes to environmental protection. And so what I really encourage people to do is to get in touch with me, frankly, or to get the book, The Green Amendment, and then get in touch with me because it really is a simple concept to have a, a right to a clean, safe, and healthy environment, but it can be kind of complex to make sure you get the language right. And it can also be a challenge to defend against the opposition. People who will come forth and say, ah, well, you don't need to put it in the Bill of Rights section of the Constitution. You could just put it lower down in the miscellaneous section. And they suggest like that's not a meaningful change or difference. It's a huge change and a huge difference. So what I do is when folks are interested in advancing this in their state is I come in as a partner. And I let you be the lead in your state because I'm not going to be the leader in your state. I let you be the lead in your state. But I work with you as a partner to make sure we have the language right, to make sure we talk about the most effective strategies, to make sure we benefit from the strategies that are being utilized in other states that have been successful, and that we really work together collaboratively to make this happen. So if people get the book, The Green Amendment, The People's Right to a Clean, Safe, and Healthy Environment, it is filled with stories, and I think it's a good read. But to me, it's kind of a glorified fact sheet. It's just another way to spread my message. So you can go there. You could go to the website, forthegenerations.org. I have a lot of fact sheets, a lot of information, a lot of videos there. You can get in touch with me and ask me to come give a talk in your community by Zoom or in person, and we can make that happen. But all the way around, get excited, and let's partner up and do it together. Wonderful. I think another thing about starting with the states is that it allows a chance for the citizens of each state to decide what the valuable resources they have in their state and what they want to protect. So my next question is about For the Generations, which is also part of your movement. For me, this is really important, to actually have a vision that is not just for the present, but for the future. Can you talk about what For the Generations means to you? 
to pass the Green Amendment, an environmental right that belongs to present and future generations, is powerful in, in as with everything in the Green Amendment movement, in a number of ways. First off, it's us fulfilling our moral obligation to protect future generations, to make sure that we are not spoiled and greedy today and behave in ways that do sacrifice future generations, because that's just fundamentally morally wrong. And we all know it. Even those who don't choose to live it, like those who are in the fossil fuel industry, they know it in their hearts. So it's just morally the right thing to do. And it, 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 it is us fulfilling our responsibility to our children and our children's children, whether or not we bore those children in our bodies or, you know, they're just part of our larger community. But the other thing is that having that generational protection really raises the bar when it comes to environmental protection, because protecting the right to clean water of those of us here today is a different timeline than when you're looking to put in place laws, decisions, regulations that will protect the quality of the water for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven generations down the road. That longer time horizon means we have to do a better job at our environmental protection legally. And when our government officials behave in a way that is very myopic, very near term, very much about, well, we'll protect the, the water today, but not tomorrow. If we have that generational protection, we can then actually bring a legal challenge for the benefit of those future generations yet to be born. So it's much more, it's, it's much more protective for, for us, for future generations. It's morally the right thing to do. It's legally empowering. And for me as a mother, you know, it's something that I'm proud to do for my own children because I don't want to see them suffer. They're afraid. Many, many of our children, as they get older and they learn about the climate crisis, and it's not even just the climate crisis, seeing species disappear and forests fall and streams being filled in, you know, down the road, it breaks their hearts. It hurts their hearts. It hurts their souls, but it frightens them for the future. And, you know, I want to help take away some of that fear by giving them this powerful constitutional tool. And you, you are working, you do have, you work with a lot of uh, youth groups. And I think even your daughter, your daughter obviously is like, been on board since day one. And <laughs> my daughter and my son are both great environmental activists and are both really great activists for the Green Amendment. But you're right, you know, one of the, amongst the most powerful leaders we have are youth groups, particularly in New Jersey and Maine and New Mexico. We have youth groups that have formed around advancing the Green Amendment because they do feel that it is empowering. They do feel that it is protective. But they also, as they describe it, they feel like it's something they understand. So when they go to meet with a decision maker, you know, and, and again, some somebody from industry or some politician tries to give them some legal gobbledygook or this or that about, you know, why they're wrong, they can just say, oh, well, wait a second. I'm entitled to clean water and you're not entitled to take it from me. It's such a simple message and an empowering message. They don't need to know all the legal nuances, ins and outs. That's my role. That's my part of the partnership. They just need to feel empowered and understand at their core that the environment is their right. A healthy environment is their right. And they have, they are entitled to stand up for it and they should do so unabashedly and unashamedly. Like you are. <laughs> I have to say. <laughs> so Maya, is there, is there anything else you'd like to share with us before we wrap up? 
Well, the one thing I really like, I so appreciate your opening up the, the, you know, the question about the states. First off, we are starting at the state level very strategically because a state amendment is much more accessible. As you said, it can be very empowering for the people in that state. And when we get that protection at the state level, we get meaningful, powerful protection because the states have a lot of authority when it comes to the environment. But as we're going forth state by state by state, and as you indicated, we have about 15 states now where something is happening in this movement. As we build the understanding and the empowerment around this Green Amendment movement, we really are laying the foundation necessary to get the three quarters vote of the states that will allow us to secure a federal amendment. We need both a federal amendment and state amendments. We need them both, but we don't want to jump to the federal amendment too soon, too early. So it's a carefully crafted strategy focused on the states first. And it's also a strategy that individuals can get involved in. Some of my most powerful Green Amendment movements in New Mexico and and in Maine started because one person heard a podcast like yours, picked up the phone and called me. So there really is a place and a space for everyone in this movement. We need us all to be a part of the movement. And you know what? We all need clean water and clean air. So that makes sense. We do. We really do. And I've having worked on on watershed projects in California, water is really a big passion of mine. So (laughs) I always like to ask my guests, is there a woman or women who have inspired you or who continue to inspire you? This is an easy question for you, obviously, but who have inspired you? My guess is you know the answer already, and that is my mother. (laughs) My mother was not an environmental activist the way I am, but she would always rise up and champion what was just or right in her community, in her environment. She would see an injustice, and she would take it head on in that moment. And when it came to the environment, she just really, she lived what she believed. And she believed that we all needed to care for the earth in every aspect of our lives. And she taught me how to do that. And then when I would see an injustice and wanted to find a pathway to fix it, my mother would help me find that path. So she was very different personality than I am, but I would not be who I am today if it hadn't been for my mother. She's a powerful, powerful force. She's not with me anymore on this earth, but she's definitely with my daughter and I in every day of our lives. Oh, that's so beautiful. Maya, thank you so much. This has been a wonderful conversation. And I really, I think we got some really good, clear points that I hope the audience will be able to take away good messages and hopefully call you. (laughs) Thank you for having me and helping to spread the word. Thanks. Thank you for joining us today. We invite you to follow us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at eVoicesRising. Share this podcast and subscribe on our website, evoicesrising.com. We have a library of resources for you on our website so you can dig into environmental issues yourself. Catherine Hayhoe, environmental scientist, says, just start by doing something, anything, and then talk about it. Talk about how it matters. You can connect the dots with friends and family and make a difference. Stay tuned for more episodes. Until next time.